The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. As we cross into Saturday, the government's set to shut down unless something amazing happens here. Following a weekend in which we saw more job boning, more commentary on Sunday morning television, but no progress really in negotiations around a funding bill. Everybody went home last Thursday and they're not going to be back till tonight, tomorrow, uh, when things get back on track. Interesting bit of polling coming out of Goldman Sachs, a survey from the investment bank. Small businesses worried about a shutdown. 91% tell Goldman it's important to avoid a shutdown. 70% say their business would be negatively impacted. 93% believe their revenue would take a hit. Even as lawmakers say, don't fear the shutdown, at least some of them, some troublemakers, at least according to Kevin McCarthy in his Republican conference, we're going to get to that as well. But let's stick with the polling data and a perplexed Washington over the weekend. Based on the latest we heard about here on not only the Republican primary trail, but more importantly, a potential general election matchup, New York Times crunches them together into the headline. Polls show low approval ratings for Biden and Trump coasting in primary. That would be fair. Mr. Biden faring better than Mr. Trump when it comes to personal favorability in this poll. 39% say they have very positive or somewhat positive opinion of him. 35% the same of Donald Trump. But it's that hypothetical matchup that freaked everybody out in the Washington Post-ABC News poll. A 10-point blowout for Donald Trump over Joe Biden. An outlier, say some, certainly Larry Sabato. I don't know if you saw his take on this. We're going to get into all of it with uh, Eli Yokely in just a moment. I have to pull up the Sabato cut, though, because it's quite remarkable. From, of course, the University of Virginia, Larry Sabato tweets, ignore the Washington Post ABC poll. It's a ridiculous outlier. My question, how could you even publish a poll so absurd on its face? will be a lingering embarrassment for you. How do you really feel? Separately, NBC News out with a poll shows the president at 56 approval, the highest in this poll. But again, 56% of voters disapprove of his performance in the other. Uh, we're going to try to make sense of this, what people actually think of a shutdown, and the impeachment proceedings that are about to begin this week in the U.S. House right now with Eli Yokely. Politics analyst at Morning Consult. Eli, it's great to have you back on Bloomberg Radio and here on YouTube, our conversation, thanks for turning your camera on. I hope everyone joins us on YouTube when they get a chance. What's your thought about this? Before we move on to your own numbers, this, this idea of an outlier, this is part of the business that you're in when you're polling the American public. But do you think twice about publishing something that just appears to be from another solar system? 
You know, I think a lot of people like the transparency aspect of putting out numbers if you get them. I think we've heard of other pollsters doing this. I mean, when you read the Washington Post piece on this, they were pretty clear about the outlier nature of this survey. I mean, most of the polling we've seen about this contest, this hypothetical matchup between Donald Trump and Joe Biden has been pretty close. Uh, Sometimes one of them has a two or three point lead, usually within the margin of error. But, you know, here at Morning Consult, we've been tracking this every day since early December, and the numbers just really haven't shifted much. It's been a tight contest. A lot of voters aren't tuned into this yet. And so you know, I think whenever we get a September year out survey like this as an outlier, um, it might not be time yet to light your hair on fire yeah. if you're a Democrat. Well, there's a lot of hair on fire already. And I wonder if you can just explain to our viewers and listeners here how you get an outlier. This has been a pretty uh, reliable poll. It's considered high quality, a, a good sample. But sometimes people tell you things. I've heard about projecting, for instance, or or maybe the order of questioning. Do you buy into any of that? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just you get a weird sample, a weird set of voters that mm-hmm. might look on paper like the people you're supposed to be talking about, but but aren't. Um, you know, that. In survey research science, they talk about confidence intervals. A lot of time there's a 95% confidence interval that you could repeat this over and over again. But every once in a while, there's that 5% chance that the numbers are off. How about that? Well, let's talk about what you're learning. Uh, That's why you're here, Eli, and your thoughts about this precarious week that we are just now beginning. Uh, The idea of an impeachment inquiry, I know that you've run numbers on this, and we're going to see the first hearing in the U.S. House uh, open this week with the Oversight Committee. The chair, Jim Comer, says it's going to be more of a refresher uh, to bring everybody, speaking of baseline, back up to where we are. What do Americans think of this exercise? You know, right now, uh, the impeachment uh, inquiry is pretty popular. About half of voters support it, 42 uh, percent don't support it. Um, a good number of Republicans or Democrats think it's OK to, to open this investigation. I think some of that might be, uh, you know, just do it to clear the air. Um, but there is some dis- dissatisfaction among the president's base with him. Generally, we've seen this in even some of our primary tracking about two in 10 Democrats would support the different candidates in the race. You know, the Democratic support for this is much higher than the Republican support was for Trump's impeachment back in 20. 20- 19. Um, you know, people people do see political motivation from uh, Congress. Um, shocking. Right. But it's a little bit less than the kinds of the, the, the share who sees the same when it comes to the Trump investigations. 48 percent all voters, 47 percent independents. That tracks pretty closely uh, for what it's worth here. I wonder how these numbers might move once we get into the process. Eli, do people care about whether there's hard evidence in this case? It's possible. I mean, sometimes these we saw during the Trump impeachment investigation, these numbers move um, every once in a while. But look, the views on Joe Biden are pretty solid at this point. Um, they're not great. And nothing has really made them worse and nothing's really made them better. And so I think that Republicans are going to see a chance to do this. Clearly, this is something that excites their base. But you know, a lot of folks just aren't paying attention to what's happening on Capitol Hill right now. You know, we, we're, we're less than a week from a government shutdown and one in five voters say they've heard a lot about this. Uh, folks are mm-hmm. as attuned to this as, as people in Washington are. Well, tell me more about that, uh, because we've got lawmakers uh, in some cases saying that, you know, a shutdown is a good thing. 
people are getting used to this. They think it's part of the legislative process in many cases. We're obsessed with blame game here in Washington. What do people outside the Beltway think? Well, I think we're about to release some polling on this tomorrow, but yeah, the, the electorate's pretty divided on, on who to blame for this, but they're just not paying attention. I mean, this is a major, major issue for the economy, as you mentioned. A lot of business folks are very concerned about this, but everyday people just aren't really tuned in. And I think that goes that's, that's helping the GOP, obviously, just given the dysfunction that is happening in Washington. You know, out in the country since 2020, the share of voters who say the uh, GOP is competent to govern has increased. It's almost tied with Democrats right now. We got this survey, hmm. you know, last week as this shutdown debate was, you know, taking center stage. I think that that is a key piece of evidence that you know, folks aren't attuned to this despite their prioritization and a lot of surveys of, you know, reducing the federal deficit. Spending time with Eli Oakley at Morning Consult. Here on Bloomberg Sound On, I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. I do want to move to the campaign trail for a moment with you. I see your latest numbers from uh, Morning Consult Pro. Donald Trump, 59. Ron DeSantis is still in second place in this poll, but uh, he's down to 13% now. Ramaswamy, 10. And Nikki Haley, uh, 6. Mike Pence rounds things out at 5%. Nobody else would make the debate stage from here based on this poll, Eli. Is that the way we should be viewing this debate this week. They're out in Simi Valley. This is going to be the biggest collection of candidates we see from here on out. I think that's probably right. Um, we're not seeing anybody get to that 3% threshold that the um, RNC has set for this debate. So I think that stage is pretty well set. You know, the challenge here for the campaign is what is the point of this? I mean, Donald Trump is not on stage. He's backed by almost six in 10 Republican primary voters. You know, without him there, uh, there's just not a lot of interest among the Republican electorate. Uh, we saw Nikki Haley get a bit of a boost after the first debate that has sustained a bit. I think expectations are higher for her uh, at this point. But to what end? I mean, you're playing over a few points here and there at this point when it comes to the folks on stage. Donald Trump's absence has definitely taken away a lot of attention from some of the folks challenging him for the nomination. So this is pretty shrewd of him not to attend these debates. We've only had yeah. one of them, and we're already calling this a good idea. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'll eat my words on Thursday morning when something very dramatic and interesting and and a campaign shattering yeah. happened on Wednesday night, possibly. But, you know, I think his play to go out to Detroit, stand with some of the working class voters who are a big part of his coalition, maybe not the rest of the Republican uh, candidates' coalitions, but definitely his, I think is a, is a shrewd move. It's put... Joe Biden sort of on the defense when it comes to his handling of of union issues and this core group of voters the Democratic Party has been losing in recent years. Yeah, Trump, if you, if you had 60 percent, would you go up on stage and let yourself get attacked by all these people? I mean, it makes sense. And I think he learned from the last one that it, it didn't hurt him. Uh, he sure did learn that. And he's, I guess, holding by his word that he's not going to attend any of them, which would be quite remarkable until the general. That's, by the way, when some people think Joe Biden will refuse to go to the debate based on what we already saw here, based on uh, his legal challenges. Anyway, Eli, it's good to have you. Thank you for joining. Eli Yokely, political analyst at Morning Consult. Always a great conversation as we assemble our political panel. Jeannie Shanzano is with us here on a Monday. Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst, uh, joined today by Lester Munson, Republican strategist and co-head of the international practice at BGR Government Affairs. Great to have you both 
with us here. Jeannie, uh, I think that we've established that, number one, this debate will be, I guess, entertaining, if not informative, this week, but will not be moving the needle for a lot of voters because Donald Trump is not there. This is a shrewd move on his part, in your view. It is. You know, when you are leading by this much in the Republican polls, he has little incentive to go there. You know, the, the idea with debates is if you're leading, the most you can do is harm yourself. So it wouldn't make sense for him to attend. I still think it's an important debate because clearly we want to see who is going to be that number two should Donald Trump's numbers not hold nationally the way they seem to be, but particularly as we right. look in the state polls where his margin is much less significant than the national polls suggest. So for those reasons, sure. I think the fight for number two is critical. And the debate, as you mentioned, Joe, it's going to be entertaining either way. So I'm excited for Wednesday night. <laughs> this is going to be a, a wild week. Jeannie, before I bring in Lester, and I want to give him uh, time on this, do you see this Washington Post ABC News poll as an outlier? Is it junk, as some suggest, specifically the hypothetical matchup that shows Trump 10 points over Biden? Yeah, you know, it's troubling that they've had two polls that they themselves describe as an outlier. And I wish they would right. give a little more context to that. So for that reason, I do think we want to put an asterisk around it. But I give the Post and ABC credit because they have been doing that. They drew attention to this. They put out the numbers and they said this may not be accurate. And as <laughs> Eli was just talking about, the confidence level is critical. You mentioned context effects. Right. So many things make polls difficult to talk about in a 30-second news piece. And that's where we all have to be careful about overstating sure. any lead either direction. Lester, we'll have more time for this. But are you going to believe me or your lion poll? Or what do you make of this? Calling your own survey an outlier. Well, it is kind of an outlier. I mean, the the average of all these polls uh, shows a much more evenly divided race. So I think it's it's fine to call it an outlier. That doesn't mean it's wrong, uh, and it doesn't mean it's an indicator Fair. of of some changes we're seeing. So I think um, I think it's still a valuable poll, and we should be paying attention to it. Well, there you go with clutch analysis from Jeannie and Lester. They're with us for the hour. We're going to drill down more on the campaign as we head for the debate, what people think about a shutdown, what the likely outcomes are here, and just what's going to happen in Detroit this week. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Call it an outlier, if you will, but the new poll that we're talking about from the Washington Post, ABC News, does have uh, some content, some results here that are consistent with, with what we've seen across the board. And that has to do as well with age. More often a problem for Joe Biden. He would, of course, as uh, we're reminded by the Post be 82 at the start of a second term. Overall, 74 percent of adults 
say Joe Biden would be too old to serve another term. 50% say that of Trump. I believe they're only, what, four years removed? Joe Biden knows this, as he made clear in a speech last week. A lot of people are focused on my age. Well, I get it. Believe me. I know better than anyone. But there's something else I know. When I came to office, this nation was flat on its back. I knew what to do. I vaccinated the nation and rebuilt the economy. When Russia invaded Ukraine, I knew what to do. I rebuilt NATO and brought our alliance to rally the world. And above all, when democracy was saying, I knew what to do. But you know what? I wish I could say the threat to our democracy has ended with our victory in 2020, but it didn't. Our democracy is still at stake. Don't kid yourself. So we have more work to do, you and I. So that's the pitch. Let's reassemble our panel for their take on this. Jeannie Shanzano is with us, of course, Bloomberg politics contributor and Democratic analyst. Lester Munson is here as well, Republican strategist at BGR Group. Jeannie, is that going to do it for you? Is that the argument that Joe Biden just laid out there that will carry him to win another election? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that's it because the polls aren't looking as if he can just rest on his laurels. But when it comes to the age issue, though, specifically on the age issue. Yeah. You know, you know, one thing I have to say is that when you listen closely to Donald Trump and he has been asked in the Megyn Kelly interview, for instance, recently about the age issue, he does go there the way some other folks do, because he knows, to your point, he's about three years younger than Joe Biden. So it's not a particularly effective argument for him to make. What he does try to say about Joe Biden is that he's corrupt. He's crazy. He's incompetent. But you know what? This is somebody who over the weekend was calling for the execution of Mark Milley. This is somebody who is saying he's going to take over media outlets and shut them down. He's going to shut down the federal government. All Senate Democrats should resign because of Menendez. The list of crazy from Donald Trump goes on and on and he puts it out there himself. So I think what Biden needs to do is to accept the age issue. Nothing he can do about that but focus in very, very carefully on the craziness and the chaos that is Donald Trump. He beat him in 2020. He can do it again, but it is going to be a tight race either way. But that's what I think he has to do. Because again, Donald Trump isn't focusing on age. He's focusing on other issues that Biden has a clear response for. We just got a breaking news headline uh, that I need to hear from both of you on here. Lester, your thoughts on this. We're hearing from Moody's, and this was one of the first thoughts I had this morning when I woke up. Is this is this another downgrade that's coming here? If we're walking into week after week with no path in sight and a government shutdown widely expected, isn't that the point here? Moody's says a shutdown would be negative for our credit rating, Lester, is that going to be the next chapter here? Is that what might motivate lawmakers to find a path? I don't think so. Uh, Moody's uh, has uh, done this. There have been threats of these downgrades before and actual downgrades before. Mm-hmm. Not sure it really changes the behavior of politicians. I think Republicans see, uh, uh, of course, the chaos in their own party, but they also see that voters are about as likely to blame Biden and the Democrats uh, for the chaos as they are Republicans. And so I think there's not there's not there's nothing dispositive here that's going to push uh, the 
the fiscal conservative rebels into a into a different spot short of mm-hmm. working out uh, the math on the budget that they find acceptable. It's just the endless threat of shutdowns, the fiscal cliffs, though, right, Jeannie? This is what we heard from Fitch when we did get a downgrade the first of August. Nothing's changed. You could argue it's been uh, actually getting worse. I mean, if you consider what's happening now, I wonder if we could actually avoid a default if we, if we had the same set of circumstances. I'm amazed that we got through that based on what we're seeing this week with Kevin McCarthy not even being able to get bills to the floor for debate. Are we set for another downgrade? This has been my fear all along, and and we've talked about this. And I think that Fitch statement when they downgraded was so clear and should, and I agree with Lester, it won't, but it should impact the thinking of every reasonable person in a position of power to avert a shutdown. They made the case that if you can't do the basic act of governance, if you can't simply keep your house in order and budget in a reasonable way, how can we say you are a safe bet? You're not. And that's the fear here. They should listen to this statement by Moody's. And I am glad Moody's put this out, by the way, because this is the reality. We keep hearing from Republicans, oh, it doesn't matter, shutdown doesn't matter, nobody will feel it, nobody will even know. Yes, we will. (laughs) This is troublesome and chaotic and problematic. It'll impact all of our lives. They don't care because they are trying to do the bidding of Donald Trump, this you know, caucus of conservative, chaotic people. But the rest of us who are thinking Republicans and Democrats and moderates and independents should care because it is bad way to run your house wherever you live, including the U.S. government. Lester, I'd like to hear from you uh, on what's going to happen in the next few days. Here's Speaker McCarthy. This is yesterday. CNN gets him in the hallway. He's wearing his vest on a Sunday. Got to go to work again in a you know potential shutdown weekend. We're just talking here, and CNN reporter asks me about the holdouts. Here he is. Well, if you're holding out now, you're trying to get a person into a shutdown. You, you've been stopping the bills from ever coming up. I don't know how you stand up and then say, "Well, he hasn't brought him up." The only reason they haven't come up, they've been out of committee. People have read them. I've been asking for amendments since back to July mm-hmm. so we can bring them up. But if you can't pass the rule, it's hard to bring it up. It's almost that they, they want to walk you into a shutdown then blame you for the shutdown. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. doesn't make a lot of sense uh, still to him, Lester. How about you? What do you think is coming? Well, let's just uh, get a little grounded here. The Being the leader of the House Republicans is not not an easy job. Uh, they no. do not take these folks do not take direction. They don't like uh, group activities. They want to go their own <laughs> way. They're uh, it's like it's hurting cats. Pick your metaphor. Uh, these folks are are hard to get all in the same place at the same time. And Kevin McCarthy knows that. And there's there's I think we're going to look at a shutdown here for at least a few days. And there mm. there could you know the most likely scenario is probably uh, working out some sort of compromise on the spending issues in the late of night and people are tired and exhausted and finally cave in and agree uh, on the path forward. I will say one thing on behalf of the rebels here, and I am slightly sympathetic to them. The fiscal situation of the U.S. government is terrible. The uh, budget deficit at $2 trillion is at an absurdly high level. And they, there's while their solutions may not solve the issue, 
they are they are motivated by what they see as a crisis in U.S. government's federal government spending, and they're not wrong. There is a big problem that needs to be addressed. Uh, their solution may not quite get us there, but at least that's what they're talking about. It does seem like mm -hmm. uh, that that sentiment is going to get more and more traction going forward if we keep if we keep on seeing things like a two trillion dollar budget deficit when we're not really doing a surplus emergency surplus spending to fix the economy because yeah. of COVID. This is just this is mostly a. Uh, a regular federal government budget that has a two trillion dollar deficit. It's it is alarming. It's uh, and that's a that's a, an important point, Lester. Of course, we're not going to get to that until we really start dealing with the budget as a whole. We're still nibbling around the edges in Correct. this conversation. We can't even figure that out. The question is, though, is the Senate going to come to the rescue this week? Or as some would say, will the Senate jam the House? I guess it depends which chamber you're in. Uh, but that could be the case. It is possible they're going to come back tomorrow to have five days to work on this. And we'll pick it up next uh, with Jeannie and Lester here on The Fastest Show in Politics. The headline, though, on the terminal, government shutdown negative for U.S. credit rating. We just heard from Moody's. There you have it. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. we got to eat our Wheaties here. You see what's coming up this week. You get one more night of rest. Yeah. Everyone piles back in. Of course, lawmakers back in town tomorrow. Uh, potential shutdown end of the week. But before that, we've got a Republican presidential debate. Mm -hmm. We've got our first impeachment hearing in the House. Yep. We've got a guy named Joe Biden, another guy named Donald Trump visiting the picket line in an historic strike that continues to this moment. Yeah. Biden up first tomorrow, mm -hmm. joining workers on the picket line, which we think is the first president in history to do so. Quickly followed thereafter by Trump in Detroit simultaneously with that debate happening on yeah. Wednesday. Thursday is the impeachment inquiry. Friday, we're really just <laughs> going to be racing against the clock because the, stri the clock strikes midnight on Saturday. Uh -huh. And then it might be game over for at least a little while, for the U.S. government. Yes. So we're, we're spending the program today setting the baseline for everything that you are going to experience. We'll do this together, of course, over the course of the week. And we need to start with Jack Fitzpatrick of Bloomberg Government, our Congress whisperer here, our appropriations expert, who I can only imagine has been rather busy, even <laughs> though there's not a lot going on in town here. Jack, it's great to see you. We're hearing uh, talk about a couple of different things here. You've got the continuing resolution. Uh, that may come from the House or the Senate, depending on how this week goes. I'd love your thought on this. Whether that in itself, in principle, gets Kevin McCarthy fired or prompts someone to try to fire him. And then the idea of getting, I believe, four appropriations, four spending bills he wants to get on the floor this week, maybe pass them and get a little bit of mm -hmm. negotiating leverage. Jack, is any of this going to happen? Or do we all go home at the end of the week with nothing to show for it? 
I don't think all of that happens. Um, for one, though, on the continuing resolution to just avoid a shutdown, both chambers are working separately on something. So we may see two competing versions. Uh, there are still a lot of questions about the timing there, how McCarthy gets support for a stopgap measure to avoid a shutdown from the hardline conservatives. Uh, and then also last week, Chuck Schumer made a, a procedural motion to set the stage for the Senate's own continuing resolution, but they'll need bipartisan support. And realistically, they'll probably want and maybe need unanimous consent to bring something forward in time for it to be relevant. Uh, so there's there are some competing priorities there. And then you, you mentioned the four government funding bills that the House is trying to bring up. They got, uh, or at least it looks like they'll probably have support for the rule for all of them. But the idea of getting four done within one week with as many amendment votes, hundreds of amendments that they approved uh, is not realistic. So I think they're giving themselves a number of options and they'll figure out which ones they can actually move forward on floor votes. Hmm. Well, considering how hard it was to get the rule passed on the defense bill or how hard it has continually proven to be remains <laughs> uh, an issue there, of course, is Ukraine funding. And Jack, as you talk about unanimous consent being needed in the Senate, if there's anything in regard to Ukraine, isn't Rand Paul, for example, going to hold things up? Um, that is a very good question. On Ukraine, we haven't heard individual demands yet on pulling out Ukraine aid from a Senate stopgap measure. Uh, it, it, there's a, a really big sort of looming question about what exactly conservatives want and need in terms of Ukraine. For example, uh, there was discussion about pulling the usual Ukraine aid out of the government funding bills that the House is bringing up and then allowing a standalone vote on that. Leadership kind of changed their minds and said, we'll, we'll leave it in there, but we'll give you a standalone vote on pulling it out. And just after that, Marjorie Taylor Greene said that wasn't enough. Uh, it's a very mm -hmm. unclear picture in terms of what machinations have to happen to satisfy the hardline conservatives. But there have been a lot more demands in the House than the Senate so far on that. I hope you're sleeping OK at night, Jack. I mean, it's I, like I you must wake up and have to, like, defrag your brain every day with all of this. <laughs> I, I, I won't be over the next week. Government. I understand. Uh, thanks for the time, sir, as always. He does this for a living. Appropriations, yes. specifically. Um, so, Kaylee, this is the perfect opportunity to talk with Mick Mulvaney. You know, imagine a world mm -hmm. in which you've run OMB. Yep. You co-founded the Freedom Caucus mm -hmm. and you helped to run the White House as chief of staff. All the touchstones involved here. And of course, that would be Mick Mulvaney. There's never a bad time to talk to me, Joe. There's <laughs> well, never a bad time to talk you know, to you and Kaylee. Well, that's, but maybe this that's week more is better than, than, I'm than I'm glad you pointed you that out. We're always looking. That's why we do it every week at this time, by God. I don't think anyone so anything else has a weekly in, around here like this, by at, the way. Yeah. Anything else going on in Washington? Or is it just... Uh, oh. well, that, well, I could throw a debate at you or uh, a strike or a couple of other things. Um, what do you want to know about the shutdown? Well, Moody's is upset about it. Yeah. They say this reflects poorly on, on our credit. And of course, remember Fitch said it's times like these that, you know, you guys have no credibility, I guess. Are we going to get a downgrade along with a shutdown? You, you know, listen, uh, uh, let me, uh, nice folks over there. No mm -hmm. question about it. I'm sure they do a really, really nice job. Of course, I remember about the financial crisis. Maybe they other you know, things they were, should have been paying attention to closer. But look, mm -hmm. we're going to pay our debt. That, that's what they should care about, right? There, there's no question now. I recognize the fact that during the debt ceiling discussion, this was, that was a legitimate question. You know, 
are we going to be able to borrow debt or, or what are we able to finance the debt, et cetera? That's yeah. not even on the table. Yeah. Only about 15% of the government on a dollar basis, okay, in terms of measured by money, only about 15% shuts down during a lapse in appropriation. That's the legal term. Shut down is a made-up term by the media. The term is lapse in appropriation. And most of the government trundles on, including Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, payments on the debt, those types of things. So I, I get Moody's, I get S&P sort of weighing in. To me, that's sort of sticking the toes in the political waters, which is not really where I like to see them operate. But it is politics that they are referring to. In the Moody statement, they say that it's about intensifying political polarization that continues to put U.S. fiscal policymaking mm. uh put on U.S. fiscal policymaking during a period of de- declining fiscal strength. And I get that. And, and is, is the dis- declining fiscal strength worries me. It really does. Mm-hmm. And if they were to come out and say, look, we're $33 trillion in debt, that's why we're looking at a, at a, at a downgrade. I get that. Mm-hmm. The fact that we're not doing policy, what, what policy do they care about other than us paying our debt? Should they care about Ukraine policy? Should they care about border policy? Should they care about any policy? Does that go to the the, the financial uh, wherewithal of the nation? I I don't know. Uh, Actually, I do know, and the answer is no, it doesn't, but I'm being nice to them. It was interesting to read the client note from uh, Libby Cantrell at PIMCO Mm -hmm. this morning, who was making the distinction between a partial shutdown and a full shutdown in this case. Uh, Your point is, or has been, though, that decisions can be made along the way that might might make those a little bit gray area. How, how do you see that? Partial shutdown, full shutdown. There is no such thing as a full government shutdown. You might have had it if we had breached the debt ceiling. I don't know. It's one of the things you and I talked about at the right. time, which is that that's sort of an unknown territory. Mm-hmm. But huge pieces of the government will continue on because they're off budget. They have under other funding sources. So a full government shutdown in this context it means anything that gets a, a direct appropriation from Congress. Mm-hmm. Okay? Sure. For example, the CFPB will continue to operate because mm-hmm. they don't get appropriations from Congress. Right? So there's a part of the government that doesn't shut down. The military is still allowed to do a lot of things even during a full government shutdown. Congress can still function mm-hmm. even during a so-called full government shutdown. So the, the full partial depends on uh, really the significance there is whether or not it's individual. In 2018-19, for example, we had passed the defense appropriation bill, okay? So that part of the government didn't shut down. That, that, that's a partial situation. When the other folks who did not have, other parts of the government that did not have their appropriations bill passed, they shut down. That's mm-hmm. a partial government shutdown. But again, th- when people back home think something shuts down, it ceases to operate, and that's yes, right. not the way it works. But to your, um, I'm sorry, you asked me a different question, which was, yeah, there's a lot of latitude. And the, my favorite example is in the 2000, I think it was 13, uh, during the Obama administration, I was in Congress, uh, the Obama administration chose, they have the latitude to do this, to close the national monuments. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they put signs around them saying closed because of the very effective the front page. As it I was. Remember. By the way, if you go back and look at the signs and do this, and I've done this, it's funny because it actually looks like a Trump tweet. All caps. Every third <laughs> word is all caps. It's just bizarre. Um, during 2018-19, when, when we ran the shutdown, and by we, I mean the Office of Management Budget that I was running for President Trump at the time, mm-hmm. we chose to leave those monuments open. And we have the ability to do that. We have the latitude to do that. So what a shutdown looks like can depend in large part on who's running the Office of Management Budget and the executive branch at that time. I expect... Uh, with the Biden team running OMB, that it's going to look really, really nasty once it happens. Okay, so that's assuming that it, it does happen, yeah. which is looking likelier by the day. You're going to be more constructive than I am, aren't you? How realistically it might be yeah. avoided. Do you think there is any path 
to that, specifically for Speaker McCarthy? What's his way out of this? Well, it's, it's a way out that he doesn't want, and it's a way out that I think the people who have <laughs> been here long enough know, which is that the way out is for the Senate to take a bill. They're talking now, I think, about taking the FAA mm-hmm. uh, reauth mm-hmm. and, and turning that into a CR, which they have the right to do. Okay? And then they send that down to the House. Okay, so that's a bipartisan bill coming out, written by Democrats, supported by some Republicans out of the Senate, mm-hmm. going to the House. And then all the Democrats and a handful of Republicans sign a discharge petition, bypassing McCarthy's control of the House, and they vote on it, and it passes. That's, that is one real possibility. Okay? And that's why I think McCarthy and even members of the Freedom Caucus, Chip Roy's pulling – he doesn't have any hair, so he's not pulling it out. But they're <laughs> frustrated because they, they, they've seen this, this, this act before. They know how it ends if this is what happens. If the House mm-hmm. can't pass anything, they'll end up in, in terms – they'll be getting jammed by the Senate. The yes, Senate will right. send them something, and it can bypass the ordinary course of business by going to this just discharge petition and can become law um, with the House ever not really ever – Ever having a chance to put its uh, its its seal of approval or its stamp on the on the legislation? Then the narrative says the next day or the next moment, Kevin McCarthy gets fired. But why? I mean, in that circumstance, I mean, listen, I'm very sympathetic to Kevin on this. I'm not sympathetic on the spending. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I'm a big fan of the of the deal that uh, the HFC cut with the Main Street Caucus that would reduce the 8%, spending the eight percent reduction. That, mm-hmm. That's that's the Freedom Caucus doing what it was set up to do: try and figure out a way to to use leverage to move things to the right. Okay, um, and I'm I, I like that. I think Kevin actually supports that. But on Kevin's Kevin's major complaint right now is, so Matt Gates wants to fire me because I can't get anything passed. But the reason I can't pass anything is because I'm Matt Gates. Right. I mean, that's, I am sympathetic to that because that's just, that's, uh, that's absurd. That well, is it's not just world. Matt Gates, though. There is just a handful mm. of these individuals. What would your message be to, to them right now, those specific members? Get out of the Freedom Caucus. Because okay? there's a rule in the Freedom Caucus. I wrote the rules of the Freedom Caucus when we started. Okay? And we had some written down and some that weren't written down. And the one that wasn't written down was you had to be able to vote against a procedural uh, motion, a rule. Because okay? that was the most mutinous thing you could, you, you could possibly we could think of at the time. Or you had to vote for a, a short-term CR. Because mm-hmm. that was the most obsequious you could do to leadership. Okay? But we would do either of those things if we thought we were moving the ball to the right. Freedom Caucus has done its job here. Chip Roy has done his job as the policy chair. They've worked with the, with the moderates in the party to come up with a good compromise that could pass the House if these other folks would come along for the ride. But Kevin, McCarthy's not dealing with a caucus now. He's dealing with a bunch of individuals, caucuses of one. And the si- situation he finds himself in is, Kaylee, you say you won't vote for it unless you get X. Mm-hmm. And Joe, you won't vote for it unless you get negative X. Mm-hmm. Well, those two things are mutually exclusive, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where Kevin, that's where he finds himself. And he, when he does manage to pick up a vote or two, I think he picked up uh, a couple of congressmen last week on, on a rule vote, he loses another two because of what he gave to the two to, to try to get them to go along. So mm-hmm. it's a very difficult situation for him to be in. What I would tell them is, look, I get it. I understand the debt probably better than they do, right? I understand that, that we worry about it, but doing it this way is going to make things worse. My bet is, and I'll take this bet right now if you guys want this, the spending deal at the end of the day that passes out of Washington, D.C., will exceed the cap set by the debt ceiling discussion. How about that? And that's because I'm not taking a bet against that. That's that. right. It's, that's how the town works. Is yeah. that once, once you give the Democrats in the Senate the upper hand, they will spend above that cap. We heard from Donald Trump, uh, your former boss, on this. This is our amazingly uh, remaining moment. Unless you get everything, shut it down. 
he writes in a much longer post on the truth <laughs> social. Um, to what extent is he influencing the outcome of this? I, I, you know, I think he's probably got a lot of influence over Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and those hmm. kinds of stuff. Although she is, you know, and they're she, not agreeing on it. And they're not agreeing on it. So, I, I, listen, the bottom line for, from my perspective on Trump is this: is that this has no impact at all on his criminal proceedings. Hmm. Uh, the Department of Justice will continue to to prosecute him. Hmm. So everybody thinks they're doing Donald Trump a favor politically by 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 voting or by preventing the government from funding itself. They don't understand how government works. Boy, we covered a lot there. That was good. That Always was definitive. Good. I'm, I'm a Mick southerner Mulvaney. who can talk fast at times. I, <laughs> no, well, I love this. Never pulling a punch either. Mick Mulvaney, great to have you back in Washington and at the table. I'm Joe Matthew with Kaylee Lyons. Thanks for being with us on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. With regard to the shutdown, and it's not because of lawmakers coming back to town or announcing anything uh, breaking here, Kaylee Moody's has piped up now, and, and there's a question about whether Moody's might join Fitch and S&P yep. with a downgrade, uh, telling us that a government shutdown, which of course many people expect this week, would reflect negatively on America's credit rating. And it's not a shocker. It's very similar language to the warning that we got from Fitch back in August, isn't it? Yeah. When Fitch did decide to downgrade mm-hmm. after the debt ceiling deal was all buttoned up, none of us really saw it coming. They said, hold on, we're still paying attention. And the right. kind of political uh, discord that you see in Washington does affect the fiscal outlook. And that's essentially what we're hearing from Moody's today. To quote the release, a government shutdown would demonstrate the significant constraints that intensifying political polarization continue to put on U.S. fiscal policymaking. Mm -hmm. The politics matter to the creditworthiness of the U.S. Well, that's right. And it could, in fact, result in action. Who knows? This is a shot across the bow, at least, Kaylee. Yeah. And it's where we begin with Congressman Brian Stile. Delighted to say the congressman is back with us. It's been a minute. Republican from Wisconsin serves on the House Financial Services Committee, chair of the Administration Committee. Congressman, you're sitting there listening to us, and it's good to see you. Welcome back. Does this make you not want to come back to the Capitol? Well, ultimately, we got to get a deal done at the end of the day. When you hear the credit rating agencies asking questions like they are, I think it reminds yeah. all of us that our system is completely broken. We're spending way more than we're bringing in. Uh, and when the credit rating agencies, if they do move on this, and borrowing costs increase for the federal government, that's real money. We have a $30 trillion debt, you know, half a percentage point of credit risk or 50 basis points. That's $150 billion a year when fully baked in. So these are real dollars we're dealing with. It's why the whole system has to be reworked in Washington. Hmm. Okay, well, as we talk about how much time Washington realistically has to rework, Congressman, you're up against a clock Saturday at midnight, coming back to D.C. tomorrow. The Senate is as well. Where do you put the odds of you averting a shutdown, you and, and your colleagues? It's the darkest before the dawn, and it's not dawn yet. I'm optimistic that at the end of the day, we're going to get there. There's nothing like a deadline in Washington to be able to get a deal done. I feel like sometimes it's a bunch of college students working on a term paper uh, waiting till the final hour. It's no way to run a railroad, uh, but that's a little bit of the reality of what we're dealing with in Washington. Hopefully cooler heads will prevail and we can prevent a shutdown. No one wins in the event of a shutdown. So imagine a couple college guys come over from a different dorm 
Congressman, and, and they've got a paper they've already written. I'm wondering just where your head is today on the idea of the Senate showing up with a continuing resolution that the House might adopt. Does that save the day or present more challenges for your body? Well, I don't think that's our best case scenario. It's why a group of us in the House pushed hard last week to move forward a conservative uh, continuing resolution, a stopgap measure that would have reduced government spending, put an impetus to move us forward on these appropriations bills, and also work on the core policy of securing the U.S.-Mexico border. So I'd rather see the House come back here tomorrow, move that forward, and let the Senate react. Uh, I am concerned that the Mm -hmm. Senate is going to come forward uh, with a continuing resolution, a stopgap measure uh, that'll have additional funding, and that's a worse position to be in. As we talk about what you could receive from Democrats, obviously Democrats control the Senate, but in regard to working with Democrats in the House, Congressman, is that something that you would support if Speaker McCarthy did have to resort to that? Well, hopefully we can avoid that. I'd love to see us move forward with a conservative continuing resolution. But again, no one wins in the situation where the federal government is shut down. And so coming into the final days of funding, uh, I'm still optimistic that we're going to reach an agreement to give us a stopgap measure to move truly move forward next year's appropriations bills. Again, it's kind of in that home stretch where deals can be struck uh, in Congress. Again, it's not a good way to run, uh, run the operation, but it's better than letting the government shut down. Are you disappointed in some of your Republican colleagues for actually calling for a shutdown, Congressman? I know that not all Republicans in the House agree on the next steps here. I firmly disagree with my colleagues that don't think a shutdown is going to cause real significant problems or, more importantly, give leverage uh, to the Democrats to allow them to continue uh, reckless spending. And so I'm of the firm belief that we have to get a stopgap measure in place to give time to get our appropriations bills Uh, across the line. And I disagree with those of my colleagues uh, that are calling for a shutdown or saying that it would ultimately, in the end of the day, uh, be a good strategic move. So when we're talking about your colleagues, increasingly, Congressman, we're talking about just a handful of individuals that may take issue with different components of of what the wider spending picture looks like, or just take issue with the speaker himself. Do you think that we could potentially be faced with a situation in the House of Representatives where Speaker McCarthy has to make a choice between continuing to fund the government and keeping his job? What's your read on this? Well, ultimately, at the end of the day, I think what we're seeing is conservatives unified around the strategy of reducing government spending and addressing the unsecured U.S.-Mexico border. What we're having is a big conversation about what those tactics are. I don't think the tactic of shutting down the government at the end of the day achieves the goal of addressing the reckless spending or securing the U.S.-Mexico border. There's a handful of my colleagues uh, that disagree with that. I just think that that moves us in the wrong direction and would ultimately give leverage uh, to Democrats in the Senate and President Joe Biden. And so I'm going to work tirelessly uh, throughout this week until uh, the deadline here on Saturday uh, to make sure that we avoid a situation of a shutdown and to do that uh, with kind of core conservative principles uh, at play. Congressman, if somebody put me to sleep halfway through the summer and woke me up today, I'd be really confused because we thought there was a debt ceiling deal that had been struck between the speaker and the president that would avoid all of the drama that we seem to be going through right now. I wonder if you're disappointed that that deal didn't hold. And I would ask you as well, would that pass today? What if Speaker McCarthy said, no, we have a deal. Let's bring it back on the floor for a vote. A little bit frustratingly, some people view that deal that is literally written on paper a little bit differently. And so I think that's one aspect here. (laughs) But the devil is always in the detail on these spending bills. It's not only how much you are spending, but also what you're spending it on. And when we're actually passing the appropriations bills, the bills that actually authorize the spending of federal government money, 
the fight is broader than just the top line number. It also involves the programs that are underlying uh, our federal government spending. And so when we get into the details about border security and about some of the core policies that we need to make sure we're putting forward to truly unleash American energy and grow the U.S. economy, that gets a little bit stickier than it does on simply agreeing to just the top line number. Congressman, what about spending related to policy abroad? There are a few specific members, frankly, in both the House and the Senate, who take particular issue with including Ukraine funding in these spending packages. Is that irresponsible? Well, I think at the end of the day, any bill that's going to get across the line is going to require a majority vote in the House and the Senate be signed by President Biden. I'd like to see us have a standalone uh, legislation on a lot of these key items. I don't know if we'll have the opportunity to do that in the House or not. People have divergent views. Uh, as it relates for American support of Ukraine. Uh, But I'd like to see us have standalone votes and a much broader conversation about the U.S. security interest uh, in the war between Russia and Ukraine. Hmm. There's a a quote from Neil Bradley at the Chamber of Commerce that Kaylee showed me, Congressman. Uh, A government shutdown is not inevitable, he writes. This is an an op-ed in USA Today. It is a choice, and it is among the dumbest decisions Washington can make. Do you agree with him? Broadly speaking, I don't think anything good comes out of a federal government shutdown. It causes heartache for a lot of hardworking Americans who work for the federal government, whether or not that's in the military Mm -hmm. or Border Patrol agents. It also, I think, politically at the end of the day, uh, often results in more spending. And so it's a really reckless way to operate and Mm -hmm. rarely achieves the goal of addressing the spending levels in Washington. You back in town later today or tomorrow? I'll be back to uh, D.C. late, late tonight, uh, maybe early morning tomorrow. I'm currently uh, in Wisconsin. It's always good to be home talking to uh, rational people before we head back to D.C. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure after a Packers win as well. That's a good point. (laughs) You got to put that that, away. And that was a great comeback. You can't you can't complain when Jordan Love delivers a comeback (laughs) like that uh, in the fourth quarter. Hopefully there's more to come for uh, our Green Bay Packers. Maybe he can come to Washington with you and help (laughs) us out here. Uh, we'll try to be rational when you come back to see us, Congressman. Thanks for being here, as always. Congressman Brian Style, Republican from Wisconsin. He, like many, getting on an airplane tonight. Yep. There'll be traffic and nowhere to park again tomorrow. <laughs> Can't wait. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.